Hello and welcome to episode six of my ongoing fiction podcast. This week we have uh, a little bit of a lighter story. Uh, The last several have been pretty dark. uh, And I wanted to show that I do have the capability to write something family slash child friendly. This story is a few years old and uh, I decided to kick a universe off from this story. My my Children of Legend series that I'm working on uh, was born from this story. So, uh, you know, I wanted to do a sort of young adult uh, superhero gritty uh, series. And this served as the origin story for uh, my character Mark. Uh, this uh, is the first of a few origin stories you'll be hearing in the feed, and then we'll get into the meat of the conflict. Uh, you can get this story at Smashwords or Amazon, and you can get the story that continues Mark's story called Hostile Takeover. X marks the spot is read for me, this time by John Wilkerson. Uh, John is a longtime friend and podcast buddy of mine. He does the Wired Homeschool. He's the original Jesus geek and just an all-around great guy and did a really good job of voicing this. Hopefully, he'll also be voicing Hostile Takeover. I would encourage you to check out Compass Rose and Here There Be Dragons, which take place in the same universe and are also prequel stories for two other characters in that universe. There will be stories featuring those characters coming out in the coming months. Uh, And, of course, those will be dropped in the podcast feed when I have them done and when I have the audio for them. Uh, I already have voice actors uh, who have agreed to do uh, their takes on my stories for those characters, and I'm looking forward to it uh, a great deal, actually. I hope you're enjoying the podcast, and if you're listening to this, uh, I hate to put time-sensitive things in the podcast, but if you're listening to this during the second week in February... Uh, I'm recording this on February 6th of 2012. There, Right now, there is an opportunity for you to go and get my young adult science fiction novel, Jenny Dare, for 99 cents in ebook form at the Amazon Kindle store as well as Smashwords. So I am, I'm calling quits to that on Friday the 10th. So when you hear this uh, this week, if you hear it this week, then you should go on and, and, uh, and buy it for me. Um, well, for me, you should go ahead and buy it. <laughs> um, so, uh, without any further chit chat or what have you, uh, let's get into the story. I always wondered what digging a grave would be like. I'd read a classic comic in the library, something by Shakespeare, and the gravedigger there struck a chord with me. Maybe, I thought to myself, maybe I'd grow up to be one one day. Surely there would always be a need for gravediggers. Job security and the thought of a job that had to be free of contact from people for the most part, living ones anyway, made the job seem ideal. I thought of this as an aptitude test. If I could make a big enough hole at 12, then when I was grown, it shouldn't be an issue. The afternoon was cool, and the woods offered a generous amount of shade. It had rained a few days before, so the ground was soft and yielded even to the poor excuse for a shovel I had. I was in decent shape for a non-jock, muscles built by hours of climbing and running. Still, after a half hour of really focused digging, 
the hole was pitifully small, and blisters had already formed and popped. Just a little bit longer, not quite ready to give up, I decided that I just needed a break. A few more shovelfuls, and I take advantage of a stream that ran nearby. A long drink and clean, cool hands were incentive enough to continue for a bit longer. A dull thunk came from the dirt as the point of the shovel penetrated only an inch further. Not exactly a metallic sound, it didn't come from wood either. Excited and forgetting my thirst and the pain in my hands, I first scratched at it with the side of the rusted metal shovel, and then fell to my knees and scrabbled in the hole with bare hands. Fingernails were only slightly better at coaxing out the shape of whatever it was I had found. It wasn't a root, as a thought in the back of my head suggested. It was too regular in size, cut off from everything around it. It wasn't a rock either, as the whole thing seemed unnaturally smooth. Finally, with grooves worn along each side, I used the shovel's nose as a pry bar. The fatigued metal threatened to break, but the object cried uncle first. Finding some sort of hard plastic container buried out here surprised me. At least it's smaller than a bread box. It was stained by long contact with the dirt. Originally, it might have been white or beige, maybe even gray. There was no way of telling. I took the treasure chest, as I immediately began thinking of it, out of the hole and moved to the stream. Handfuls of brutally cold water sluiced over the top of it and gradually washed most of the dirt away. As it came clean, I thought about what I might have found. It looked like I was more pirate than gravedigger. With thoughts of pirates and their gold, I hoped for money or something, anything of value. Mom and I were poor, and something like this could change our lives. Eventually, no more dirt could be removed. It was as clean as it was going to get without soap and water. Each side of the chest was utterly smooth, and even without so much as a hairline crack. It looked for all the world like a solid lump of plastic. As I turned it in my hands, I realized how light it was. There was no gold here. Probably not anything of value. Just a plastic trinket. Disappointment flared up in the middle of my chest. In anger, I grabbed a rock the size of a doubled fist and smashed at the box. A ringing thud suggested it was far from solid. I shook it hard and heard no rattle. I smacked it with the rock again and again, hoping it would give. Though it wasn't solid through and through, it was strong. Stupid thing. I smacked it once again, this time with a sense of futility. A dull light pulsed at its heart. A sound, barely at the edge of the range of my hearing, beat in time to the light. My frustration turned to fascination. I ran my hands over it again, this time in reverence. Because of the light, I expected it to be warm, but it was no warmer than the rapidly cooling air around it. Realizing that the daylight around me was dimming, it occurred to me that I had been in the woods a lot longer than I had intended. The sun was headed down. I tucked the box under one arm and jogged toward home, leaving the shovel and hole behind. Branches slapped at my face as though they were trying to hold me back. The path, familiar as the one from recliner to bed, suddenly filled with potholes and rocks ready to trip me up. I slowed my pace. It was hard. I wanted to get home and see what this box that wasn't really a box was. It wouldn't help if I ended up breaking my leg, and the further I went, the darker it got. After what felt like far too long, I broke through the tree line and saw the trailer park across the ditch-lined road. I picked my way across, unwilling to put my discovery down even for a moment. The brown and white trailer we called home sat at the back of the lot, 
a single wide, with a few rust spots. I unlocked the door with the key that hung around my neck from its black shoelace. The silence was filled with a tension that my pre-adolescent brain couldn't make heads or tails of. My stomach rumbled, breaking it and making me chuckle. The sound was more nervous than funny. I sat the box in Mom's battered recliner and walked to the fridge. A PB&J and a glass of milk would be my best, really, only option. Mom wouldn't be home from the diner until after my bedtime, so I had to scarf down the poor excuse for dinner and look at my new toy some more without fear of being interrupted. My bedroom wasn't much bigger than my bed, offering only a few feet on the left side as a sort of walkway between it and my closet. A small bookshelf secured to the far wall touched the top of my footboard. It held a few academic awards, some library and school books, and a model airplane. The bed itself was made to my dad's strict specifications. Snoopy sheets tight as a drum, a habit that clung on years after he and mom split up. I sat the box in the middle of the bed and looked at it in the stark illumination offered by the single bare light bulb. The box still glowed, though more dimly than it had before, or so it seemed to me. I turned off the overhead light and looked into the core, trying to crack with my eyes what a rock hadn't been able to touch. As I stood there looking, time spooled away. It only felt like minutes had passed. Tired legs and my alarm clock testified that 45 minutes had gone by. For almost an hour, I stood there looking like an idiot into this mysterious object. I sat on the bed, getting as near to it as I could without touching it. After a few minutes of scrutiny, it looked cleaner than it had before. Maybe carrying it had rubbed some more dirt off onto my shirt. Show me something. I don't know why I said it or what I expected. The air flickered an inch above its surface, the tiny figures moving in three dimensions where before there was nothing. The pulsing sound became words, or something like words. I couldn't quite make them out. The picture zoomed in on one of the figures. He, if he was a male, looked more like a lizard than a person. It was more in the way he moved than anything else. There were no scales, though his skin looked like sun on an oil slick. His face pushed out like a muzzle. Holy crap! The strongest epithet I was allowed escaped my lips without me realizing it. My first thought was this was like some sort of television, but it was beyond anything I had even heard of. The picture sharpened more as the face on my alarm clock dimmed. The light still on in the hallway dimmed too, almost to the point of going out. Gradually, the noise grew louder and more regular, and the picture more solid. I could even see, as the thing was talking, that its teeth were rounded like cartoon headstones. The words changed, beginning to sound more like a real language. I realized that it was Spanish. I didn't speak any, not really, but sometimes I listened to the Spanish language channel on the radio, and it was just like that. The block continued to pulse, and I felt that rhythm deep in the center of my head. A few more seconds, and the word changed again to English this time. Repeating, people of Earth, we send this message to let you know that you are in grave danger. Your planet is in danger of attack by forces more powerful than you can imagine. Take this box to your leaders and they will use the technology in this information delivery unit to begin building a defense. We estimate that the hostilities will begin on the third day of the 10th month of your common calendar in the year 2001. That would give you four of your decades to prepare for the siege. We wish that we could send forces to aid you, but the energy costs are too high, and we hope that with the time and tools we offer, you will be sufficiently defended. It went on and on, repeating this message, presumably in every language we speak on Earth. 
The whole thing faded from my consciousness as I moved my stare from the box to the calendar. It was October 1st of 2010. The invasion apparently hadn't come. Or, if it had, it was successfully prevented or quietly successful. Maybe there was more than one box. I picked it up and peered into it. Looks like you guys did your judge. My words broke off as a brilliant light filled my vision. I woke up the next morning to the sound of classical music coming from my radio and the smell of bacon frying. I was still in the clothes I wore last night, and my head buzzed and hurt and was flooded with thoughts. An incredible effort enabled me to filter out the noise and pain. I knew a few things with absolute certainty. Many boxes had been found and were in good hands. I could feel their distant presence in a way I couldn't describe. The immediate threat had been dealt with. Other dangers were inevitable, though. Beings like those in the first wave still had their eyes on us. There were also other people who found boxes and would be using their gifts for evil. Until we could meet up with those who had come to our aid, we were on our own. Honey, breakfast is ready. My mother's voice carried over the noise. Coming, Mom. I peered at what I had immaturely thought of as a treasure chest only yesterday. I didn't know then how right I was. With a wave of my hand, I made it float to the bookshelf. Another wave, and the pictures of the ones who helped us materialized out of thin air. I silently thanked them, and came to my feet. With a clenched fist, I erased the images, and banished my days of boredom forever. Hi there, I'm James Williams, inviting you to listen to Lifestyle Jazz. Lifestyle Jazz is a new contemporary, modern and smooth jazz show on the Lifestyle Pod Network. It's hosted by me, James Williams, and each show you can enjoy a half hour of some of the best jazz around. So let me invite you now to visit us on our website where you can subscribe to the podcast, look at who we're playing and listen to a few shows. I look forward to seeing you soon at lifestylejazz.com.